there are so many ways to approach Christianity in the Bible, and you can pretty much get away with any way you go about it because you can you can pluck out all your verses that support your idea. You can project onto them what you think they mean, and um, but you can also you can also like convince someone that like Jesus was an anarchist. Jesus was, um, you know, or a communist and like Jesus was extremely progressive and the opposite of a conservative and all that stuff. And really any way, any way you want, there's so much shit in the Bible, you know, there's so much wonderful, uplifting spiritual messages. And there's also like sexual assault and war and stuff like that. So it's like, you can, you can do whatever you want with the Bible and probably convince them that your way of looking at it is correct, which is why, you know, people dissociate from like the original writings and, and the, the context and the culture. You make the Jesus. Every breath I breathe, I take in you. Every breath I take, I take in you, I think. You make me breathe, Jesus. Other than that, what's the chant afterwards? You got to go whoop, whoop after that. (laughs) That's what we always did. And you have to put your hands up like you're raising the roof when you do it. That's always when we did like harmonics on the guitars where you like, you know, you you just mute over like what is the seventh fret and just do a waka waka. <laughs> uh, why is that song in your head, Casey? Why did you start us off with that? I don't know. It's just stuck in there, and I keep singing it, and I keep pointing to April when I get to the whoop whoop part, and she won't do it. What? Uh, I can't mad. believe that, man. I That's think the pain. problem is she doesn't have enough juggalo in her to get the whoop whoop out. <laughs> did you guys do motions to that song when you were? Yeah, in YouTube? for sure. Waves uh, of mercy, waves, waves of grace. Yeah, that's good. I, I found a video online. I see online your face. Wait, neither of, you, neither of you grew up in a church that did like the flags and stuff during worship, right? Flags? Like American flags? No. Oh, my gosh. Christian you guys flags. Don't know about this? No. Color guard. No, well, kind of. It's a Pentecostal thing where people have like flags and you just run up and down the they're not like they're not like the american flag or the gadsden flag or not even the stars and bars believe it or not but like the white flag (laughs) just like flags just like celebratory flags and then people would like dance around at the front waving the flag you really you've never seen this that wasn't our vibe uh did they bring these flags from home or were they just like in the back of the church to grab one that no way they had their own flag from your truck yeah, so my church was not really into it, but we went to a praise and worship conference once with a lot of other Pentecostal churches, like me and the rest of the worship band. And uh, they there were flags people there. I remember thinking it was very funny because the worship leader, like when we were having lunch, she was like, well, that's just, you know, that's them doing their thing. Like that's that's the line is somebody dancing around, waving a flag. Like that's weird. It's not snakes, <laughs> thankfully, but. They're just everybody. They just have like six people doing like Mel Gibson at the end of the Patriot. Just uh, no, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. They're waving them back and forth, and they run up and down the the aisles like when they just have like a spirit break or something. Huh. The spirit There's, moves in mysterious ways, I guess. Not but... A lot of Pentecostal churches. I'm sorry, you went to dead churches. 
Uh, yeah, oh, no, we, for sure dead. <laughs> we celebrated I, with, um, you know, solemn silence. I'd say <laughs> dead in celebratory flag worship, but alive in Christ. <laughs> I think there was a select group of elder men who were allowed one amen per service. Oh man, but, you're probably an act of sexual probably... misconduct. <laughs> your uh, <laughs> your services probably let out on time too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So the one that I went to when I was real young in uh, in Georgia, that was a Southern Baptist church, and it didn't. It was terrible. It just went on and on and on. But uh, yeah, my church when I was uh, for most of my life in Michigan, that was all. It was, they were pretty uh, timely. Okay. What was like the average amount of time between the pastor saying like, I'm closing now and him actually closing? Because in our church, an easy 30 to 45 minutes, like I'm closing. Like I think a lot of other churches, the whole length of the sermon could happen in the amount of time that our pastor was closing. Oh man, that sounds awful. It was. That one was always tough. I feel like for me and my church, well, the one I went to is like a as for you and your church, we serve the Lord. Absolutely. We will wave flags. Yes. Uh, no, I, it was that one was pretty on time. Uh, the church I went to in Boston, though, uh, it was mostly on time. But that, those are some long sermons. They would be like 40, 45 minutes sometimes, maybe more. Dude, that is not a long sermon. Oh, hour well, and a half. Easy. It is for me. Hour and a half is honestly a fireable offense. And but that's it, just the I sermon. Would, I'm not talking to myself. If I had uh, to and and worship could be an easy 45 minutes. Our church services were an easy two and a half hours. So when that's, did they start? That's exciting. They started at 10 a.m. and they let out at like 12.15 to 12.45. Oh, boy. We get we get past noon and I was, I was itching to get out of there. That's when I was a kid at that Southern Baptist church. I remember they would just have these altar calls that lasted forever. And you would just sing just as I am until someone finally like gave up and like went down and confessed to some sort of mortal sin just so the service would end and they could watch football. Yeah. When those services were going like that and you're on the worship team and you're like, my fingers feel like they're going to start bleeding any moment because I've been repeating the same little riff for like an hour, just like holding (laughs) ambiance in the background. And then do you ever like, well, were you ever on a worship team? Uh, yeah, kind of. Okay. Not, not to that extent. I don't know if you ever did this. I, I, of course I would never do such a thing, but eventually then you get tired and you start like seeing how much experimentation you can get away with without anyone noticing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do the rest of this in taps. (laughs) Seriously. Or like really slow taps. I, I got, um, eruption by Eddie Van Halen, which to be clear, I can only play the first like 10 seconds of just because it's the super easy tapping part. But I worked that really slowly into worship once in a different key. No one could tell the difference. It was fine. <laughs> it's because they couldn't <laughs> listen to that. Uh, I, the one that always killed me was when, you thought, when we thought we were getting to the end of a sermon. And then it was like uh, the church I was at in Boston, the pastor would be like, and now, hey, now we're rounding home plate now to bring it all back, to bring it home. I'm like, oh, fuck, we have another 15 minutes left of this shit. Like, you just know that it's not wrapping up. And it's like, as soon as the announcement and to wrap it all up, to bring it to a close meant that we were three quarters of the way done and we were just going to have to listen to him try to like connect the dots. That drove me nuts. I know at our church that was, I'm beginning to close really just means that like the second part of the sermon was starting and it could go as long as it needed to. 
Those, I mean, we easily we could make it thirty or forty five minutes after that regularly. That's Can't so tough. It. It's just not fair. I like, dude, in class when I in, in my uh, grad classes, it's like you just even in undergrad. I remember being like, what do what do these people think they're doing going over their time? Like, we have other classes to get to. Like, I don't. It's always bewildered me that people in a speaking role think that everyone is just so dependent on the knowledge they have to impart that they're going to be god has to impart yeah but them sam you got to shift your perspective but as somebody who does a lot of public speaking like i do a lot of public speaking and when you hit your time there's no mistake and everybody is is very clear and everybody lets you know that you're you're at your time so like I can't imagine hitting that time period and then just being like, I'm going to, you know, it's one thing if it's like we went over time, but it was because we did like Q and a or something like that. Right. But like to just insist on talking for another like 30 minutes past the point at which you're supposed to quit. Well, it's it's like just a sheer dominance move. But you say the time you're supposed to see that's interesting is like I was probably 14 or 15 before I ever played in a church like we just I think our our the youth band went and played at another church like as a guest spot type thing. I don't remember the details, but I was on the youth band and they had the monitors in the stage where they had like an actual schedule of here's what's next. Here's how long you have. And I remember being like offended at the time of like how how do you like schedule, you know, the move of God in like that like that's ridiculous like how do you and then i mean of course their sermon ended or their whole service ended at a really good time and that was nice but i remember thinking like i can't believe people do this like you play the song just all the way through just once normally like what you don't go back and repeat anything you don't flow you know you don't do any of that spirit doesn't lead but seriously like so i guess you guys grew up where it was a lot more scheduled of like no we actually have a flow to the service and here's how it goes and it takes the amount of time that it takes and then it's done yeah it was dependable you could depend on the structure uh i also like yeah because as soon as you go past that time that people are expecting and they i mean even if there's no like rigid structure like people check out after a while and I think what's different about those spaces is you could convince yourself perhaps that as a speaker that because you're sharing the words of the Lord that that people will be more open or that if the Lord wills they will be for those who have ears to hear you know they could you could just go like well I, I'm gonna this is the message that God gave me to give so if they've checked out it's on them I'm gonna deliver this as the Lord intended. Hey, yeah, we're I mean, here think... until we're done because. We're living, we're living, we're living an extreme day. Hell yeah! Um, you guys want a bit of news? Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is because uh, I assume that uh, there's a portion of our audience that is uh, sneakerheads. Sneakerheads is what they call them, right? I, oh, no I think idea. I know where you're going. I think I might have seen this story, uh, maybe so, only an hour ago. Here we go. Yeah, uh, so SneakerCon was this weekend, which I guess is a thing. I shouldn't be surprised by any sort of convention that there is, because I went I, at one point, April was a guest at a pinball convention. And so we went to like Pittsburgh and hung out for a weekend at a pinball convention that she was like paid to be at. That sounds awful. It was actually, it was one of the more fun ones, because they had like, they had like seriously like, 250 ancient video games like set up on the floor 
and they were all free. You could just kind of walk around and play all these old games. So it was kind of fun. But uh, Sneaker Con, it, the, the level of douchebaggery at Sneaker Con has got to be high. It's got to I mean, be like, like if, the, if you had a, uh, you know, like one of those, uh, what, what are those things that you carry around and fall out that click when there's nuclear waste nearby? A oh, Geiger a Geiger counter? counter? A Geiger counter. Like if you had a Geiger counter for, for like potential date rape suspects, I got to imagine <laughs> that thing's just like click, 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 click. Well, what are you doing at sneaker card? You're just wandering around with shoe boxes full of unworn sneakers to trade other people for their unworn sneakers. Like what else is there to do? You're just looking at sneakers. You, you pass up tips on how to get rid of creases. I have a feeling it's like, just one after another, like uh, big room sessions with like some dumpy old guy from like Adidas or something that comes on stage. He's like, are you guys ready? And then they unveil a a shoe. Is it just me or well, do you like modern sneaker culture? They're all hideous, right? Like I'm not crazy. All All sneakers that people are collecting are the ugliest things you've ever seen. Yeah, I don't really get it. Like there's some that are fine. None of them really speak to me, I guess, but like the the ones that i never understood were the yeezys like yeah anything oh so weird looking anything kanye i'm like i don't i don't get occasionally the things i don't get do catch on so i'm not exactly the a fashion guy i haven't changed my style in over a decade so don't look to me for fashion tips but like the 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 shoes the kanye shoes that are kind of like the crocs material that are yeah like it kind of looks like when like the when the venom symbiote first starts taking over your body it's just like all squiggly and shit <laughs> it's like you just stepped into the fucking symbiote from spider-man i'm uh, glad to know that kanye just dropped his new album like a week ago and it's horrible I've it's it's definitely trash things. yeah, yeah I haven't it, heard one it's good so thing. bad it's definitely a man who has stopped taking his medication uh, well that's unfortunate but i never really got into him he had those giant boots that looked like yep. kind of Mega Man shoes. Sort they, of. They look like you let the teenager at AutoZone fill your tires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of air pressure in them that they're supposed to. They got those cool bubbles coming out the side. But it, but Casey, wait, where are you going with the sneaker con thing? Because yeah, I, I don't know this story. Well, um, there's a new there's a new player in the sneaker game. Yeah, um, I hate this already. One. No. President Donald J. Trump no <laughs> launched his limited edition sneakers at SneakerCon. Are you sure this is an AI, Casey? Like, no, you this get is taken real. for a ride? Yeah, it's legit. <laughs> this is honestly, so stupid. <laughs> Wait, the shoes are wild. The, honestly, the shoes are in, they're incredible in a wild way. Con- but. Convicted sex pest and seventy-eight year old, like. Mango Mussolini went to sneaker con to launch a new shoe. Oh, oh, all of that. And 24 hours after he was ordered to pay $354 million in damage. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, we got to get those pre-orders. Like I got to do an Elon. We got to drop, we got to drop this and get people lined up. <laughs> he's trying to recoup some of those legal fees. I mean this in the best way. I don't think I don't know which way I mean it. I don't think there's a lot of overlap between diehard sneakerheads and Trump's most loyal base. I, I don't dude, know. Everything's overlap now, the dude. There was I, a lot of people in the crowd, and there was a lot of booze. But then there was also 
the the funny thing to me was I watched some clips from the like announcement where he walked out on stage and he's like, wow, there's a great energy in here. I've wanted to do this for a long time. Like he's been contemplating launching a, a like a gaudy sneaker for like the last 20 years. It's not like a get rich quick ploy that he launched like 24 hours ago to try and recoup a portion of his earnings. But yeah, there there was the funny thing to me was that there was like people holding up obviously like professionally printed signs, like campaign signs that said sneaker heads for Trump. Nice. Like that they were already in the crowd. Like, are we supposed to believe that someone who just was furiously starts scribbling on a piece of poster board they were carrying with them as soon as they saw him? Oh, these were printed. They were like they were campaign signs. They look like yard signs that that you would hand out if you were campaigning for Biden or something. So what do the shoes look like? Gold, right? So, okay, well, the other day I was in Vegas for a work thing, and in the Vegas airport, there is like little uh, pagoda stores along the, the terminals that sell, I mean, crap that no one needs and no one wants. Like, like there was a, at one point I was sitting across from a little shack store that had a, a a purse that looked like a box of popcorn that was made of bedazzles. And uh, that's what these look like. So they're like, a, they look like a Converse All-Star and they're like a shiny gold. Like the whole shoe is like a shiny gold with like a white sole. They have a big T on the side of them. And then the top like section where the ribs would be, you know, kind of around your ankle that's like American flag colors. That sounds terrible. We'll it, post a. Terrible. I'll post a picture of it when I do an episode post. Um, I'll put How that. Much are I'll, they? Put, I'll put that in there too. The okay the <laughs> the main ones like the high top. Uh, you know, the Sunday sneakers. They're called the Never Surrender high top sneakers, <laughs> and they're priced at three ninety nine. <laughs> $400. Oh, they're not $383. I figured I'd just go for the meme. <laughs> the athletic shoes, which feature a T and the number 45 on the sides, are priced at $199. Uh, the purchase of a pair of sneakers comes with extra laces and a Trump superhero charm. The website selling the sneakers also features a Victory 47 perfume and cologne for sale at $99 each. Whoa, what's that? What do you guys think that smells like? Other than like, you know, the insurrection crowd. Look at those. Those are so ugly. They're hideous. <laughs> it smells uh, like head. the urinal mints in Trump Tower. Yeah, I, I'm not a sneakerhead, so I guess my taste doesn't matter, but I can't imagine anybody thinks that looks good. What the the hubris required to wear them is off the charts, right? Because oh. you don't know, like the idea of like sneakers, neutral ground, uh, you could wear like, it doesn't define you. It doesn't tell people what you believe in. It's just like it's a neutral ground hobby for all players, uh, all beliefs, all walks of life. And then you uh, as long as you're a 25 to 45 year old guy, or yeah. 15 to 45 year old guy. <laughs> well, here's but, a little blurb about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, I was just saying, you introduced these and now it's like, this is just another identity marker. Just another way to politicize every aspect of our worthless, meaningless lives. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, 
that is the shortcut to to meaning and purpose. That's for sure. Yeah, it's really fulfilling. I, all the people I know who gravitate towards such extremes seem the happiest. They're not constantly pissed about how awful everything is and that everything is unfair and their freedoms are being stolen. I don't know. It's just, uh, but these will make you happy. These shoes are here to to improve your overall mental health and well being. Says with the rise of sneaker culture, signature shoes have moved beyond athletes to musicians, actors, and more. Some politicians are now thought of as sneakerheads, which is slang for people who tend to rock particularly desirable sneakers. Representative Jared Moskowitz, Democrat Florida, reportedly has somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 pairs of collectible sneakers. And and then they show him wearing cool. like a he looks like, you know, any old white guy running a UPS store and he's in a new neon blue suit with a a pair of like just chunky white and baby blue sneakers and his pants are just like sitting on top of them. He he looks like a total jerk off. <laughs> what was uh is there video um of the the shoes being announced is there like a is it, it had to have been like a panel and like an, a, an announcement and a crowd and is that oh, yeah, available? he went trump he was went. there yeah i mean there must have been time between court hearings or something like that or he just didn't show there. up you know he could that's a possibility <laughs> pull the old regalado move yeah right <laughs> uh, i don't believe in this this is fake news therefore i won't be there for it <laughs> Well, yeah. So, um there you can go to like gettrumpsneakers.com and spend $400 on those if you if you want to. If your investments in the uh Trump um NFTs are not paying off the way you wanted, maybe the sneakers will hold their value a little bit better than uh, you know, caricatures of Trump like lifting a bus off of a black person. <laughs> Just those perfectly curated AI images. Yep. <laughs> so I was at, uh, we went to an antique store yesterday. I had to do a work thing this weekend, which was really boring and lame. And then uh, afterwards, we were driving home and I'm like, ah, let's stop somewhere. Like, So we stopped at this antique store in Topeka and they had some cool stuff in there, but I ended up buying this like ancient book. I don't know when this is for, I think I, well, I thought I found a printing date on this, but it's, it's old. It's a old, old copy of Aesop's fables. Damn. I thought this would be a good way to just like, uh, you know, maybe, uh, just impart a little, you know, a nice lesson onto everyone. Dude, I feel like we could, uh, hit this, hit this for a full ep. Uh, there's a lot of good Aesop fables and I, I, I growing up, uh, there was this cartoon that I watched. Uh, there were like these VHS videos that we had and they were adaptations of Aesop fables. Uh, and it was about these kids who were like transported to this, like, I don't know, I guess somewhat magical land. And there was a Buffalo who was supposed to be like Aristotle or some sort of philosopher. And there was all different, like, animal characters and they would read stories uh so like the ones that stick out to me were like the 
he that ball with the gold the magic thread if you pull it it would like skip forward in your life and the guy would just like keep pulling to get through shit they didn't like and then the, well, that, that's a movie called click with adam sandler yes well, yeah <laughs> it's essentially it's that really yeah. ripped off a great yeah. piece of cinema <laughs> uh and then there is that obviously like the midas the hand of midas or whatever that was uh that one was in there but I, i'm trying to remember what the um what the name of this cartoon series was i don't know if it was syndicated or not but uh all the stories are like the thing and the thing yeah yeah and as a kid i was like are these christian stories and it was like well they're not exactly christian but you know are they supposed to be parables i honestly don't can't remember yeah they're basically parables that's essentially what they are uh they're just like stories that yeah it's a parable it tells you how it just tells you how not to be an asshole you know (laughs) well let's try one here all right. Okay. Um, and this one's got three characters, so we can all kind of pick from them. Uh, the young mouse, the cock, and the cat. Back in the day where you could just willy-nilly, no pun intended, throw around the word <laughs> cock. <laughs> so I pick the cat. I get to be the cat. Well, that makes... That makes Sam the cock, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> so Jeremiah is the brave young mouse. I guess so, but am I supposed to have a copy of this up in front of me? No, no, I'll read your lines for you. Oh, great. Okay, cool. (laughs) I'll be the brave young mouse as long as you read my lines. I think you're the hero of the story. I'm guessing that I'm the villain. Okay. A young mouse, on his return to his hole after leaving it for the first time, thus encountered his adventures to his mother, or recounted his adventures to his mother. Mother, said he, Quitting this narrow place where ye have brought me up, I rambled about today like a young mouse of spirit who wished to see and to be seen when two such notable creatures came in my way. One was so gracious, so gentle and benign. The other, who was just as noisy and forbidding, had on his head and under his chin pieces of raw meat, which shook at every step he took, and then, all at once, Beating his sides with the utmost fury, he uttered such a harsh and piercing cry that I fled in terror. And this, too, just as I was about to introduce myself to the other stranger, who was covered with fur like our own, only richer, looking and much more beautiful, and who seemed so modest and benevolent that it did my heart good to look at her. Ah, my son, replied the old mouse, Learn while you live to distrust appearances. The first strange creature was nothing but a fowl. That will ere long be killed and off his bones when put in a dish and in the pantry. We may make a delicious supper. While the other was a nasty, sly, bloodthirsty hypocrite of a cat to whom no food is so welcome as a young and juicy mouse like yourself. This was definitely written when uh, our public education system was a lot better at reading than it is now. <laughs> yeah, because I don't get it. I don't get that at all. And, and also, I, I feel like depending on uh, the environment you're reading it in, and uh, are there characterizations going on here that are uh, directed towards groups of people that are not the kinds of people that mice want to be associating with? It's a little, little rigid. Well, I think... The moral of the story is that appearances can be deceiving and the young mouse who wasn't wise to, uh, you know, the ways of the world's first time out of the hole thought that the, the, the young cock with his, you know, flappy meat 
lips and his piercing cry was uh, unappealing and possibly dangerous. But in fact, the the sly and and uh, flatterous cat was the dangerous one. It, is it just me or is that a really lame story? He's like, I went out and I met these two characters and his mom's like, you've got it wrong. The end. Yeah, that's essentially it. It's you got it wrong. It's like I met these characters and came back unscathed. And his mom was like, do you have any idea how dangerous that was? I was like, but I'm fine. I don't know. They let me go. We didn't have problems. Maybe you had a bad interaction with a cat once in your life and have some. Uh, Stan really wants to make this people. about systemic racism. I just, I, I don't know. Oh, no, pushing no, this angle. No, you know what? You don't need to impose your political garbage onto every single thing. I know, this was right. written before racism. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get a published date on that? <laughs> It's like I'm looking at 1776. <laughs> I can tell from the type and it kind of smells like cigarette smoke that this was written before racism was a problem. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Well, you didn't okay. like that one. Let me read one more. That's shorter. Aesop's fables uh, is a collection of fables credited to Aesop, a slave and storyteller who lived in ancient Greece between 620 and 564 BCE. Yeah. Those jokes on you, douchebag. That's is really it, old. Is it on me? I think it kind of proves my point a little bit. <laughs> okay, this one is called The Old Woman in the Wine Jar, and it has a fun little illustration of a lady sniffing a hole. <laughs> <laughs> the hole it is says, in a jar, readers. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's a um, yeah, if that's if that's important context. <laughs> you must know that sometimes old women like a glass of wine. <laughs> The old women like a glass of wine. One of this sort once found a wine jar lying in the road and eagerly went up to it, hoping to find it full. But when she took it up, she found that all the wine had been drunk out of it. Still, she took a long sniff at the mouth of the jar. Ah, she cried. When What memories cling round the instruments of our pleasure? That's the story. It might have been written before racism, but not before sexism. Nothing predates sexism. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely see if you were out of beer, I could see you like picking up one of the thousand cans amongst <laughs> your feet right now and sniffing it and going, oh, I remember alcoholism. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I, I'm drinking a glass of wine while we're, uh, <laughs> while we're doing this. So cheers, my friends. Oh, classy. Yeah, I'm keeping it classy. It's Cheers it's, to you. This is technically the start of my uh, school vacation. I'm on February break next week. So What's February break? That's a thing? Yeah, in Massachusetts, we get it because too many kids killed themselves in February. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> it's Massachusetts' attempt to keep guns out of school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, just, it's, up there. it's cold and depressing and they're like let's we need to give these kids a break before something horrible happens <laughs> <laughs> so we get february and then wait a month and a half and then we get april vacation too so you have, you also have spring break yeah yep man but don't worry we'll still yes. complain in march when i have to work four whole weeks without a three-day weekend or any extra time off <laughs> Teachers are heroes. You've been institutionalized already. I spent my entire life never getting more. The last like 
few years of my life, I had finally gotten like three weeks of paid time off and the federally mandated amount of like long weekends, which is like five, I think. Um, and then I spend one year in a school and I'm already like, this is fucking ridiculous. I, you're telling me March, I don't get one long weekend. Fuck this. <laughs> I'm going to take a gun to school. Yeah. <laughs> then, then we'll get March vacation. That's like, that's the call of arms. If enough kids bring guns to school in March, we get March break too. <laughs> Greater love has no man than this. That he laid down his life for his students. Oh my God. Anyways, Sam, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, our guest this week is Angel Markloid, also known or better known as Fire Tools. Uh, she is a art, a musical artist who blends a ton of different genres and stuff together. I don't know. It's really interesting. It kind of took me by surprise when I first heard it because it'll be like, uh, like. I don't, I feel like the wrong word is EDM, but there's like a production component to it, but then there'll be like black metal kind of vocals layered over it. And it's, it's really interesting, uh, but it did stick out and we had a great conversation. She has a lot of um, the same kind of musical background that we do got into heavy music at a younger age has incorporated that into some of her new interests. Uh, she defines herself as psycho spiritual, hard new age music. That's what it is on Instagram. And that makes sense. Uh, it's really interesting stuff. Absolutely go check it out. Follow her on Instagram. And uh, I, I thought this was such a neat conversation. She's a really interesting person, interesting background, and uh, vibrant, colorful person. A uh, lot of color on this Instagram. Um, oh, my word. <laughs> Just the... <laughs> the her, her room, the room that yeah. she recorded the episode in, it's... Uh, it is just like pulsing LEDs and rainbows and unicorn. It looks like you're, it looks like if you, uh, you know, staked a homestead inside of a Lisa Frank Trapper. <laughs> there you go. Casey with the analogies. Uh, but yeah, that's awesome shit. Uh, Angel is cool as shit. So enjoy our conversation with fire tools. Amazing. Hey everybody, we are back with our guest, Fire Tools, or as we will uh, refer to you as on this podcast, Angel. If I even drop your name much at all here, I guess uh, that happens where you just assume we're talking to you the entire time since we are having you on our podcast. But Angel, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I feel like, uh, as we were just talking about briefly before we hit record that, um, I'm very intrigued by your music and it's outside of my element, but I really, I, I really like it and find it very fascinating. And I, I, I don't, it's not, it's not my forte. So I don't even know how to like classify or think about it. And, uh, I was, I was reading your Wikipedia page though. And I noticed that Wikipedia even seems to struggle to classify it. I want to yeah, say the, the like Wikipedia 15. is really not good. Um, it really <laughs> needs some serious updates, and I can't really do that myself. It's really incomplete, and the information that is there, like some of it just like doesn't really matter. Like there are so many other things about my music or like my public, my public persona, I guess you could call it, that should be on there, but it's not. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, <laughs> but this, yeah, uh, it's go like. To, 
go to angelmarkloyd.com. That's a better place for, for information on me because I actually control it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because if whatever you change your Wikipedia, someone else is just going to be like, no, that whoever said that is actually wrong. And I'll tell you. I'll tell yeah. you about that person. It sounds like they did really minimal research, like read like one article and plucked some ideas yeah, out of it. Which, who knows? I mean, I guess you could argue I did really minimal research since we started this off about talking about Wikipedia. <laughs> That's okay. I'll fill you in. Perfect. Uh, but yeah, it's like uh, any other awkward non secretors you want to throw in before we start talking. Hey, it wasn't me. that awkward. I didn't think it was very awkward. <laughs> where Where are you joining us from? Um, I'm in a town about like uh, one to two hours from Chicago. It just depends on where in Chicago you're thinking about. I used to live in the city and I do like put on my social media that that's where I'm from because it's like kind of I'm in the this is still considered Chicago land, but it's like way far out there. Um, but I mean, if you tried really hard to dox me, you you probably could, but I don't usually <laughs> say what town I live in. <laughs> I feel like you could probably look at a map of the power grid and just look for a like a a, a, th a throbbing flare yeah. of power usage. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how people in this neighborhood see me. They drive by my house and they look in the window and it's like red, blue, and purple. And I have this big TV above me right here that has a live stream of a uh, um, cat rescue on twenty four seven. So I literally have kittens right here live all the time it, it looks like the fairy godmothers are having a fight about cake <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how i feel every day <laughs> is there is it so much color and light coming from your house uh and so much energy with like draw that uh parents make their children cross the other side of the street when they walk by it well the thing is there's a sidewalk on both sides of the road here and i am the last house of this neighborhood so people walk down the sidewalk, they get to my house, and then they turn around and, and cross the street and go back down. So I get to see everyone twice, including kids. Do, do you <laughs> keep a nondescript outside, or is uh, the whole thing is... Um, I have a flag with a smiley face on it, a big yellow flag. Um, but that's, other than a few garden ornaments or whatever, um, we we keep it pretty chill on the outside. I don't I don't want my conservative neighbors to have some kind of a problem i don't know you're not trying <laughs> wanna, to draw any wanna, hate crimes i just don't want to be i don't want to be a target i mean the the city this the stats say it's like half liberal half conservative roughly it's like it's like 50 percent, 51 percent, or something so it's not like i'm like surrounded by um people who want to kill me just, just some 50 50 chance right exactly. it's one of those one of those neighborhoods that that Voted for Obama, but blocked affordable housing. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> blocked Obama, but have flipped. And then flipped back and then flipped again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Uh, the, well, you know, the boomer generation has to try on a new uh, identity. Well, maybe it's not even fair to say it's the boomers. I think I think us millennials I think it's are a, doing probably the same a majority thing. of the issue, but definitely not all of it. But don't worry. They're going to die before we do, and then we'll live in a utopia. Yeah, that's... <laughs> we, were just that's having, we were just having a discussion about the things that go away when boomers die out. 
one of them being ambrosia salad. Yes. That wow, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> no one's gonna. Or what about those uh, those weird like fruit cakes with like Jello and stuff? They're kind yeah. of like a cliche in movies where your neighbor brings you one. Those those will be gone because my grandmother, you know, that's like grandmother vibes. But that'll that'll be gone. No one's gonna make those anymore, probably. Yeah, they don't probably appear in a cartoon be. without hair in it. the the rolling uh toothpick dispenser at restaurants i have a feeling that goes away it might go away but that's that's cool because you don't you don't have to touch them at all it's like a little free vending machine i really in (laughs) fact i should get one of those i'm gonna put one in my bathroom and then i won't have to brush my teeth anymore i can just use a little picks i don't think those are for sale for residential use i think that's strictly commercial Oh, no way. You go on Amazon. If you type anything into Amazon, it exists. It doesn't matter what you type. You'll find you it. You have to have a Cisco account, Casey. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is true, though. Amazon is like my my house is just a, a, a bigger and bigger pile of like very specific gadgets and like storage utensils. Oh, thanks to Amazon. Well, thanks, Amazon. Thank you, Jeff. Daddy, Daddy Jeff. Daddy Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Jeff. (laughs) Well, all right. So let's get into a little bit because our our conversation uh, online, you really piqued my curiosity with some of your interest. There's a lot of overlap of interesting, interesting interests. Sure. Um, (laughs) Musically, spiritually, religiously, uh, so let's start the way we normally do on the uh, religious front. Did you, uh, where did you grow up and, and was religion or Christianity a part of that upbringing or did your interest in it in an academic sense, it seems, uh, come later? Let's start from the, uh, the early days. Yeah, the academic stuff came like way later. Um, but so I, I grew up in a family that was just like um, as Christian as they needed to be in order to sort of uh, get away with not being called heathens. So it was like Easter, (laughs) Christmas, um, you know, once in a while, my dad would like make some comments about the Lord or something like that. But my, my family wasn't, wasn't really religious. And then my mom was like trying to push to like go to church for a while because I think she was just looking for something, you know? And so we kind of went through a little phase when I was young where we were going to church, but I hated it. So I didn't, uh, I, I finally convinced her to stop making me go. Um, but then I kind of, I discovered Christianity in a different way from friends who were, um, like going to youth group and stuff. Um, and I started going with them. And then of course I was just exposed to their brand of Christianity, which like, I guess when I was older, I like finally understood some things and wasn't just like completely tuned out. Like I was when I was a little kid. So I got pretty into that. I ended up becoming a, like a youth leader. It was a non-denominational church. They liked it. It was just stupid because it's a denomination. You're just not calling it that, but (laughs) But usually with non-denominational churches, it's a bit more laid back. So um, I guarantee you, if I walked into that congregation looking like this, they would be really nice to me. But 
if they knew that I like use she, her pronouns, that's where the problem would be. So mm -hmm. basically I'm saying that like, you can be a freak and go there. Like there, it was, <laughs> it was comfortable. Um, you know, it embraced the, the weird kids like around the youth time in my life, like new metal was like a pretty big deal. I mean, it's like early corn, early Limp Bizkit albums. Um, yeah whole chamber and stuff so all of the all of the kids my age who went to that youth group were like in the parachute pants and had the spiky hair and the ball chain they got and everything what so was your like, look what was your look as you delved into that world orgy i really loved orgy and yes yeah. you know they had tight shiny clothes they wore makeup uh they played heavy music and their guitars sounded like keyboards which i was very fascinated with um so that was kind of my look. I still had the parachute pants sometimes, but I had a lot of shiny clothes, <laughs> you know, like stuff you would buy from Hot Topic, like in the, you know, early 2000s and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So Invincible era skillet. Yeah. Speaking of skillet, I really, uh, I was jamming Alien Youth around that time. Now yeah. I look back and read those yeah. lyrics and I'm just like, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah, um, he didn't get any better at writing. No, either. no, That's he got way cool. worse. But yeah. that album, that album kind of slaps. It's like pretty heavy at times, and it was a huge change from their like earlier stuff. So, yeah, I was really obsessed with that for a while. Um, I, I feel like uh, even back then, it was like you were so starved for. I mean, I didn't really get to listen to secular bands, but like, so you were so starved for like heavy music. That yeah, you like things been. knowing that they were they were bad. Even it was like uncomfortable how like lame they were at times, but you still had you had to make do with it because it was all you had. <laughs> yeah, and you know my you know my youth pastor never had any issue with secular music as long as the content wasn't like you know not like wholesome. Like I got him into bands that were secular, even. Um, yeah, just, you know, no F words or any taking the Lord's name in vain or whatever. But um, Which kind of ruled out a lot of new metal, didn't it? It did rule out a lot of new metal. So we just listened to, um, well, I don't know, Zayo has some pretty crazy lyrics at times, but I don't think my pastor knew that. So we could listen to that. And then, of course, we listened to Ludacris slash Norma Jean. Yeah, um, yeah. There was some. There was some they other like new Christian. metal. Zayo was a Christian band at that time. Uh, they were at that time. They've always kind of like treaded the line, like in a really weird way. I still don't. It's get true, it, but lyrically, but I, they definitely did. I mean, I knew kids when I was still really into Zayo and very, very Christian. And when the Funeral of God came out, people were like, mm -hmm. "Yeah, well, they knew that far. that album title was gonna make people lose their shit." Yeah, I think it was just like it was just kind of a fantasy story, right? Isn't that true? Wasn't it just like a like a concept or something. Yeah. I think it just had a lot. It, yeah. A concept of the idea of, I mean, essentially it's like the God's dead idea. Like uh -huh. culturally God's been, been buried. Essentially. Yeah, I, kind of, uh, I, kind of I think that's that what they're way. going for. Yeah. And that's, that makes sense. They've always been a little bit, I think ahead of the game when it comes to criticism um, of that stuff. Um yeah, so I was into that for, you know, a good chunk of years until my, until like 23 or so. Like, I finally just like, one day I was just like, like, no, this isn't right. There's so many problems with this. It's like, I'm tired of 
pushing myself to believe things that I just knew weren't true. And I'm not talking about like, you know, God's existence or like, you know, I don't have, I'm Jesus rules. Um, so it wasn't really like that. It was just like, a. it, it was the fundamentalism and the literalism with the Bible. Mm. Cause I'm just like, there's no way that happened. And they were like, well, it did, you know, like God was doing stuff like that back then, um, you know, to establish like a history and establish the Bible and like, you know, nobody's walking on water ascending to heaven now because like that kind of stuff doesn't need to happen anymore because we have the Bible. So that was a convenient justification. Like, the Bible's not doing quite as good a job as uh, walking on water and ascending into heaven though, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's really not. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, the, I mean, they thought Jonah was really in the whale. They thought that the world began with, you know, Genesis. And there's like two at least creation stories in, in Genesis. And they, they wouldn't acknowledge that because they believe in uh, like univocality of the Bible, meaning like it's not written. They don't realize it was written by all of these different people at different times and different letters being sent to different churches for specific reasons. And every writer had their personality, but they don't want to look at that. So yeah, I kind of slipped out of that, even though I really miss my pastor because he's such a cool guy. Um was this the, about hitting the pastor up, or the youth pastor that you connected with? The, the, the youth pastor. Okay. And the, I mean, the main pastor of the church. I mean, he was kind of cool too. But I, I recently revisited their um, their webpage to kind of see what's going on because it's been, you know, almost two decades, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I looked at their site and I was looking real deep into their, like, um, uh, what would you call it? Like their mission statement or whatever to see if I could find anything like their transphobic or homophobic faith. in there. That's always a category. Statement of faith. Yeah, because that's kind of where that's a lot of times where like homophobia pops up because they kind of want to yeah. like, make sure that you know what they stand for, but they don't want to like make a big deal out of it. Um, so their workarounds are funny, too, because if they don't want to say if they want to be uh, like subversive in a bit uh, in a way, they'll say instead of like we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. They'll like, they'll skirt that and be like, we believe in the creation account as it happened. And then they'll just yeah. kind of like dodge some of the other shit instead of get specific about what they believe. Yeah. There's, there's just so many contradictions in the Bible and that's made me really appreciate it, you know, later in life, like looking at the the diversity and, and all the different kinds of writing in there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just seen, in a way that I feel is just like really horrible and damaging. And, you know, the people there that the pastors and everything, like they have degrees, but they went to colleges that like taught them like kind of the current way of looking at things, current translations and, you know, and um, just kind of like, I guess like neo-Calvinistic and, you know, meets like evangel. Well, I guess evangelical has to do with Cal uh, Calvinism too. But um, uh, I don't remember where I was going with that. But yeah, like those the colleges, like Liberty University, like they they teach you to be a pastor, but they it's like it's like hardly academic. I mean, these it's, people aren't learning. Now, I'm not going to sit here. Said. They're not learning the original you talk translations. Talk about my alma mater that way. <laughs> Won't have go. it. Won't have it. Yeah. 
So I went to the church's YouTube channel to poke around and see like if people were still cool or whether they got like really evangelical or conservative because I know like there's been a lot of polarization and the first video that came up was that senior pastor complaining that uh, Maryland, where I was from, passed a law that allows people to put their preferred gender on their uh, driver's licenses. And he was just like so sad about that, about what the world was coming to. I'm just like, come the fuck on, dude. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's then, like the everything is so politicized now. And it's mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, we've talked about it quite a bit about how like it's clearly the most important thing to almost everyone. I know. Like that's a problem plaguing the church right now. I was just I have a buddy who's still a, you know, a, criti- a Christian in the traditional sense, still uh-huh. goes to the same church I did when I was a kid and stuff. Smart dude, but you know, I was telling him about I'm like, dude, you can't tell me that like most people, like their faith is more important to them than their like their identity in a political sense, because that's all that they talk about. That's all they post about. And everything has to go through that lens yeah, in order to like lens. make it out. It's definitely a lens because there are so many ways to approach Christianity in the Bible. And you can pretty much get away with any way you go about it because you can, you can pluck out all your verses that support your idea. You can project onto them what you think they mean. And, um, but you can also you can also like convince someone that like Jesus was an anarchist, Jesus was um, you know, or a communist, and like Jesus was extremely progressive and the opposite of a conservative and all that stuff. And really, any way, any way you want. There's so much shit in the Bible, you know. There's so much wonderful, uplifting spiritual messages, and there's also like sexual assault and war and stuff like that. So it's like. You can you can do whatever you want with the Bible and probably convince them that your way of looking at it is correct, which is why, you know, people dissociate from like a, the original writings and and the the context and the culture at the time and how that influences what the scripture might mean and everything. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've been thinking about getting a hold of my youth pastor because I I want to talk about some shit. I want to be like, come on, man. You really don't think that this is a thing, right? Look look at the Hebrew. This is what it says. This is what this scholar says it means. This is what scholars agree it means. Like, what do you have to say about that? And I'm like, what do you say to that? Well, uh, the, it doesn't mean that. I mean, what do you do at that point when you got scholars there, like, arguing with you? So, yeah, yeah it's just I think the, the least ap- academic position in, in the church that you could have. That's it. It's it's a weird mix because they it's like a faux academic approach because they, you know, they'll they it's just so insulated that they mm-hmm. they cite their, you know, they cite sanctioned academics who purport the things that they need them to. Yeah, but exactly. They have very little. They rub shoulders seldom with the actual like academic world. And there is disagreement yeah. within yeah, there is academic. Yeah. The academic. Mm-hmm. I mean, any academic world is disagreement, and I think that's where just like uh, what I find fascinating is you go, oh, this is where people are. This is where people are having the conversation at a higher level, uh, and we should learn and glean from that, and not just go. Uh, I'm 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 looking to to tickle 
my need for certainty. So I'll just like, I'm just yeah. going to, I'll sift through every idea until I land on the one that makes me feel good about myself and my beliefs yep. in the world. And, yep. That's what they do. And I swear most of them don't realize they're doing it. They really don't. Yeah. So when you were in high school and you started attending youth group, was there, I mean, I, as a teenager, I imagine uh, you started considering, questioning, thinking about your sexuality, your gender identity. Did that, what was, how did that come into play for you in high school? Uh, <clears throat> well, I've always been like a weird dresser ever since I was in elementary school, but mostly middle school. I was just more adventurous with fashion. Um, therefore, I became like just a total weirdo in everybody's eyes. Um, you know, I had my like, freak fans who, you know, listen to what I listen to and everything. And then, you know, everyone else. Um, but I did this weird thing where I would like try to make friends with like the jocks and like the preppy girls and everything. Um, Cause I just wanted harmony and unity between everyone. <laughs> so I try to like make friends with those people. In the church? How could you? Well, eventually um, it kind of caught on that, um, you know, I was a Christian and I was a little bit outspoken, not super outspoken, but I, you know, I had, I had, uh, journals like online journals and I would just like write about a lot of stuff. So people got to know that I was like, like cool, but like a weird Christian person. And I think a lot of my friends just kind of didn't talk to me about it and was were just like cool with it and like, didn't, make it an issue once in a while we get into like a theological conversation but it was never heated or anything they just kind of like let me do my thing i guess but um yeah fell out of it did my atheist phase like a lot of people do and then you know found meditation or psychology then found meditation then found buddhism then found hinduism and now i've kind of arrived back at a completely different version of christianity that is actually amazing and learning how fallible and flawed the bible is has been one of the main things that has gotten me excited spiritually because it's it's truth and truth is what gets me hyped not like something i'm trying to like okay noah's ark really happened like come on like internalize this noah's ark really happened like no more of that shit. No more of that shit. I just, you know, if, if Christian teachings resonate with me, I go with them. And if they don't, I throw them out and it's great. What is it about, what do you think it was for you about coming back to it from the perspective of it, that it's clearly fallible that made it that, that what, what, what about that made that more appealing to you? Uh, and that, and more related to truth for you, because it just it made it made the Bible human again. Um, and I realized there's so many different perspectives and and ways of thinking in the Bible from all these different people, and it was just encouraging to to see all of the different ways like people like would have their you know relationships with God and. Um, and so much of it is just horribly, horribly misogynist. I mean, women were just straight up property. If women were sexually assaulted, you know, it's, she was in huge trouble. And sometimes the men would, you know, get away with it depending on 
the circumstances. Just there's so much awful stuff in the Bible. Um, and so being able to see that and, and be real about that and like be fine with it, it kind of makes me just like trust in like my spiritual like connection with the divine or whatever you want to call it um, because of truth. You know, and I know none of these like academic um, data are necessarily um, infallible. I mean, it's still people like doing the studying, but like um, it's so much closer to truth and truth gets me hyped. Like truth with a big T. I don't necessarily mean like facts. It's like something a little bit more abstract than that. That's hard to explain. But um, yeah. And then then I started just paying, like, I don't, I don't even like the Bible much. I don't like reading it. I just, it's too hard to read. Anybody who's being introduced to Christianity, if someone hands them a Bible and says, start here, they're just going to get fucked up. They're just going to be, <laughs> their brain is going to be ruined. They're not even going to know like what to do. It's just, Bible is the worst thing to hand someone if you're trying to pitch any kind of like spirituality. So I like to read stuff from other Christians who have much more of a spiritual uh, connection and, and more like mystical experiences. Like I love reading Meister Eckhart and St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross and Thomas Merton. Like that's my kind of spirituality and like huge fan of Richard Rohr. I've listened to so many of his books and his podcasts and everything like that. And yeah. So like, that's, that's my, my, my brand of Christianity is extremely progressive, extremely like in a way, like self-centered, like trusting yourself and your intuition. Um, and it's very, it's very loving and it's peaceful and there's no violence and there's no judgment. And there is an em- embracing of other traditions. Like, because my main interest is is like mystical Christian and academic Christianity right now, I still like don't like to call myself a Christian because like so much of my philosophy is rooted in Buddhism and um, Vedanta Hinduism. But I find that mystical Christianity just like just works with that. And so I don't have a particular spiritual like like association with any movement or religion so much as I use Christianity as like a framework for a lot of things, but it's not, it's not the end all be all. I mean, it's just concepts. It's just people trying to put into words and, and into sights and sounds like what they're experiencing with the divine and Christianity is one way of doing that. So. Yeah. Hell yeah. I love that. I resonate with a lot of that. It feels like there's the, when you're talking about like Buddhism and Hinduism, it's like mystical Christianity. Uh, it, it pulls the spiritually beneficial practices and aspects of that are tried and true across religions and like kind of restructures it in the framework of Christianity. And I, I, one of the things that you said that stuck out to me uh, that about the way that, oh boy. The thought is slipping my mind. Uh, it, it was about just the way that um, the things that the things in Christianity that line up with your own, like your kind of your yeah. personal ethos based on your own personal spiritual journey is something that would be frowned upon from our evangelical. Absolutely. Uh, they, they think I'm possessed by from. Satan for that. But 
ironically, though, they they say the same thing in different words. They go, well, Mm -hmm. that doesn't sit right with me because I'm guided by the Holy Spirit. And so they do the exact same thing and they just word it differently and think that it's a superior way to look at the world. And that's, I think, what's a little bit frustrating to me is that we're all doing similar things, using similar tools and um, obviously coming to different conclusions which I think kind of harks back to what Casey was talking about with what's, you know, you're naturally possibly more conservative, but your main, your main concern is your, uh, your political ideology uh, and making sure that the the world functions the way you need it to in order to feel safe and happy, which is what we all want, right? We just need that world to operate differently. Oh no, that's, that's where we can connect with those people. All of us want what's best for the, the world and ourselves and our neighbors they just happen to think what's best is, you know, eradicating trans people and and Trump and all that stuff. Um, just so weird. I mean, God, like if evangelicals just took a simple course on the history of Christianity and the Bible and like the Jesus legacy, they would, they would either like, like go crazy or like they would have to like intentionally, dissociate from all of it and just call it the devil because there's no other way to like learn about that stuff and then be like no <laughs> so they'd call it a conspiracy theory so that way yeah, they can keep, exactly. keep no that's their... true that's true yeah, well that's just would. what the academics want you to think that's uh-huh people have a tendency to explain everything away without having to i i want to say that's a big difference between people who have gone through major shifts and then are continuing to look at new information versus people who haven't changed their mind in 45 years is like, yeah, yeah. I've, we've, we've gone through the effort. And I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to like, you know, toot our own horn or anything, but like, I think a lot of millennials especially have gone through the effort and I've seen millennials go the, you said you had your atheist phase too. So you understand mm-hmm. this. You, mm-hmm. We see a lot of people go the other side. They just switch fundamentalist teams and they're just still no fun and they don't know how to engage and have a conversation or think rationally. We've mm-hmm. seen that too. Uh, but I think what we're, you know, we do see a lot of like, if you can look at someone who's in their fifties and they've never changed their mind about anything, Oof. And they've been when they've come close, you've had conversations and they go, oh, that's really interesting. And then they forget all of that and go back mm-hmm. into the same the same understandings they've always had. That's a, like a big red flag for me. Um, and I look if if you've changed your mind about things like I would be more interested in talking to someone who came to evangelical Christianity in their late 40s who lived mm-hmm. their party life like those people who have that salvation story. Right. That that testimony. Maybe they were in Hell's Angels, whatever. I would be more interested in having conversations with them because at least yeah. they've at least they've changed their mind about something. And I think that, you know, you can you can just flip teams and double down and deeply ingrain yourself in the same thing. But I think there is something to be said for uh, the brain, like just you're being able to change your mind about something at, at a later stage in life. Because like, we really encrust ourselves in our beliefs as we approach our thirties. Yeah, that's exactly true. I mean, if anybody believes all the same stuff they did 50 years ago, they're pretty much just saying, I am more misogynistic and sexist and homophobic uh, than the people around me who have changed their mind because 50 years ago, that's how, you know, people 
people thought. Um, and same thing with racism. So, um, yeah, it's really it's really alarming when people don't evolve. It's uncomfortable to evolve um, a lot of times, but I mean, how else is is the world gonna like survive if we don't evolve and change our minds? Um, and not not being dogmatic, we gotta like try so hard not to be dogmatic like there there's some things i guess that you can you can be dogmatic about maybe like like human rights i guess but like you know other than that we just we have to be open i I wish we could have more level-headed conversations with evangelicals and stuff like that like i try to on on you know comment sections of instagram and twitter and stuff i really like engaging in that conversations and meeting new people and talking about our different ways of seeing things, but it usually doesn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like uh, a good, um, just like very current example of that kind of like protectionist mindset Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. everybody's prone to is uh, like the stuff going on with between Israel and Palestine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think, I think, regardless of which side of that issue you find yourself on like there's a lot of inherited knowledge yes that informs your position on that yes whether it's one way or the other whether you think that like you know israel is god's chosen people and they you know just need to have their own land and they're surrounded by all these Muslim countries. You know, we've all heard these arguments that are like Mm -hmm. handed across from generation to generation without like really any, there's no really historical understanding of what that conflict has looked like. And the same goes, you know, on the, on the flip side of it with, um, you know, people that kind of want to whitewash the, you know, the ugly things that people on the Mm -hmm. other side of that conflict have done. The, and, and really like the problem, like what, what's hard about it and what's ungratifying for like the casual onlooker that just enjoys a bit of like disaster porn on the news or like performative activism on social media that doesn't do anything for anybody. Like what what's ungratifying about it for both sides is that like if you actually look back at the history of it you know you don't even have to go mm-hmm. back clear to the beginning you can go back 30 years and just look mm-hmm. at what's gone on there's some really ugly stuff on both sides like there's bad blood there mm-hmm. that is understandable if you were the person living in gaza or a person living in jerusalem you know yeah and there's propaganda too so it's um even when you go research things you know if 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 somebody was challenged by somebody uh, on the other side and being like, just look it up, you know, you can find <laughs> things that act like that are posing as like, you know, historical accounts and documentation, but it's still twisted. Um, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of that on the Palestinian side, but, um, but you I'm probably sure wouldn't plenty, you know, because, Google does that fun thing where uh, you're more likely to see search results that are based on previous search results and how you frame a question. They're pretty tuned into what your bias is. Like, is is uh, is Israel really the aggressor here? Like the way you would phrase something, like it it'll just filter results based on previous searches and what they know about you uh, from search history. So it's like you're 
I mean, it's a bias like, machine is, that you're. Getting. This is something my dog likes to do. Just like take <laughs> beds and blankets and just flip them over and carry them around. So if you see her doing that, um, enjoy. Is that um, a laser pointer that's just moving around? It's an automatic uh, laser, like a cat toy. So it comes on when I'm not around or busy or whatever. But there, it doesn't look like there's any. Oh, they're yeah, not actually, playing there's with a it right cat now. in the corner staring at it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not yeah. interesting. It comes on like every once in a while. Uh, sorry I about the it. interruption. I just figured if you were looking behind me and like seeing what Layla was doing, no, you'd probably be like, what the hell is I'll, going on? I'll take this sidebar because I had a okay. Westie. Um, she's since passed. She was a wonderful pup. Uh, she's taken too early. She got cancer. Uh, oh, but so sad. She, we got those laser things as cat toys. Uh, mm-hmm. And then our my we at first we were like oh this is cute my dog loves it um and then we we're like oh this is like an unsafe problematic toy for this dog and we ended up looking it up uh and it's like you should, probably shouldn't have these around certain dogs because they'll hyperfixate and this dog mm. my dog would literally like wouldn't be able to stop chasing it and every time we would turn it on it got to a point where if we turned it on she would chase it and chase it and chase and then she would just like freeze and then like have accidents on the floor and then like keep oh my god it. yeah crap. it really like i never heard that dog a seizure. i said like <laughs> she, wow. i don't think she was seizing but they're just like they they get so fixated on it that they, right. they can't pull themselves away and they just they'll just piss where they're standing because the dog don't. is just well, literally reliving the tunnel scene from Willy Wonka every time you get the laser no. oh god that shit is scary yeah well, it was wild we had to like hide I can't it. see that well so I don't I haven't, I haven't seen it bother her anyway she doesn't even pay attention to it and the other cats like chasing it around so I think things are going okay but I'll I'll keep my eye out for a problem <laughs> so there's a uh there's like a history podcast that I really like. And I, you know, the guy's like a sub stack and occasionally on his sub stack, he'll, he'll take like a Bible passage and he'll uh-huh. kind of give like a, you know, sort of, it, it, it feels almost like a sermon or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he definitely approaches it from more of like a literary, you know, mm-hmm. academic sort of stance and examines it in a way that's like contrary to the, to, you know, the the sort of like cut and paste doctrine that that yeah. I grew up with. And I was, yeah. he had this like th- several part series recently on the book of Job. And, mm. we, you know, it's kind of the premise that he starts out with. He's like, you know, one of the things that that makes Christians really uncomfortable when we start talking about the book of Job is that, you know, I happen to believe that God is the aggressor and antagonist in that situation. Like God is the bad guy in the story of Job. And, and then he kind of teaches the whole thing through from that perspective. Mm. And it's really interesting because in the end, he kind of like makes the, the case for the idea that like, you know, God's nature changes after Job. And that like he mm. thinks it's, you know, Job really gave God an understanding of what it was like to live as a, you know, to it put him in the shoes of a human. Well, you know, one of his creations that like, what is it like to lose family members? What is mm. it like to, you know, to be 
tormented by all these different plagues and stuff in a way that like maybe he'd never felt, you know, really understood before. It gave him a better understanding of what it was like to be human. And, and you know, I mean, is that act? I don't know. I don't know. It, it's interesting, though. And I was talking to my wife about it. I'm like, you know, I we would never be able to talk about that passage in that way growing up because oh, it yeah, doesn't no line way. up with our doctrinal understanding of it, you know, like, because the Bible is, is inherently perfect and it was written and inspired by God and it is to be interpreted literally. And like, uh, it really robs so much of like the actual like meaning that it has yes. for you. Yes. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we really, like I really missed out on a lot of that stuff because I was so worried about memorizing the right way to look at things. And in the end, yes. like yeah. it didn't mean anything to me, you know, when I was finally right. honest with myself about it, I, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me yeah. to know all these right answers about this stuff, you know? And I, I don't know. I think that's like the downside of like this protectionist, you know, dogmatic way of, of approaching religion that I think eventually is, has hurt the church and has led to, to the point that it is now where like, mm -hmm. it really doesn't mean anything to a lot of people. And that's why like you look elsewhere for those like cultural identifiers, you know, yeah. like Fox news or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I have think a hypothesis. That... Oh, oh, sorry. Share. Go ahead, Angel. Go. I uh, don't lose that thought, but I, I was just going to just comment on on Job stuff, I guess. Um, yeah, looking at God as the antagonist, that's really interesting. I think that something I can get out of all, all of that is kind of like, I really love the idea of life being horrible, but maintaining faith. Um, but you have to kind of, you have to look at God differently in order for that to work as like a, you know, like I have a song called The Great Allower, which is something that I got from Richard Rohr. And that's, he like talked about God in that way once, um, you know, about like how in a way God's just kind of like, you know, y'all do your thing. I'm here to help. But, and it's like an experiment and like, we're fucking it up really bad, but it doesn't mean that God's fucking up necessarily um and so i think that there's lessons to be learned when you're suffering and your family's dead and you have no money um i think that you can still have very strong faith because you're not pinning your circumstances to like an act of god um so i find i find joe value uh, job valuable in that way but it was just one person's or several people i don't know actually who the author is um their way of talking about what their experience was. So this person, if he was real, which he might not have been, you know, went through all this crap and they, that person's interpretation of their experience is that God was saying those things and being like, you know, sorry, I like killed your family. Just don't lose hope and faith. I know that sounds really bad and it looks bad, <laughs> And it is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of shitty in a way, but like, I don't know. I think that we can get some value from it as long as we look at it differently from the way our childhood churches taught us, which is kind of what you're saying. You're talking about a new perspective, which I really 
value. I wonder if that's academically sound. There's probably some kind of consensus about like what Job means or whatever, but um, yeah, you have to be willing to look at it differently than you were told to. There is almost some like interesting things that kind of tie into this in that story too, because I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly who played what role in that story. But I, I mean, really during remember. the first, not in Job, right? I don't know. It's no, it's essentially so. This it's it's the oldest, it's the oldest dated book. Um, oh, so really? written before Gen- oh, written book. It's uh, yeah, it's cool. the earliest written book. Um, so you get a little bit more of an idea of what the theology of the time was when it was right, written, exactly, uh, and where it was, how it meshed with right, you know, ancient Judaism. Uh, right. But I. My understanding is so it starts out with a divine council. They call one of the characters Satan in English translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, it's just the accuser. And so it's an right. accuser. It's right. kind of like a court like uh, setting. So there's like you have the accuser and you have the part. person who's like <laughs> defending Job, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. is God. So then you just get this like this back and forth because, you know, it's also that was a time in which, and not that it's not now, uh, but I think the the concept like you mentioned angel is just like uh the concept of faith and i think that was more of a virtue than Mm -hmm. it is now then so you go like yeah god's like look look at this man of faith and then uh the accuser who is also would have been a a, kind of an equivalent of god with this whole divine council it's more of Mm -hmm. like this idea of uh a plurality of gods and right um right he goes well you know or they go, I think that, you know, I, I just don't think that I don't think this person really has a faith that you think he does. And then they just kind of argue about it. And and God's character goes, all right, I'll let you do this. But these are the, your only rules. You can't do X, Y and Z. So the accuser does all those things. And Job still has faith. And then Job and his friends fight about it. And I think some of the cool things that come out is like Job's friends all all present quote unquote biblically sound arguments for why mm. um why job is suffering levitical yeah. arguments like uh-huh. you're suffering because you sin like you wouldn't right. suffer like this if you if you weren't sinning what's your sin dude tell us what you've done and he's like i haven't mm-hmm. done anything and you have mm-hmm. this constant argument so even though it's you could look back on it now and go that's kind of dated we don't have this like archaic view of god and, and right. gods in this divine yes. argument in, mm-hmm. in this concept of suffering and punishment for arbitrary reasons other than proving a point, uh, you can say that book is really doing this thing where it goes, the time in which they lived, uh, they, this is the operating assumption, and this is what we get in the early books of the Bible too, which is you wouldn't suffer if you weren't doing something wrong, and this book is doing something different. It's telling a different story, playing a different game, uh, kind of pushing back against that that cultural narrative uh, as a story. Uh, it's yeah. likely just written as poetry. Uh, and One I of the things that he says me. about that that like paints God as the aggressor in it is that like because God sets the terms for how right. the devil can torment him, like God really so is kind of devil, in control. That I think that's the yeah. pushback I would have, though, is that yeah. like yeah. Well, it's hard wait, to call whatever. God the aggressor when you're dealing with gods. And there is no mm-hmm. like, there is no God, God at that point. There's no understanding that there's. It'd be like argue. Mm-hmm. It'd be like the Greeks arguing which God. Like you could say Zeus right. was the most powerful, but like 
there are equally powerful gods doing things that control different things. So I think that's the 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 trouble with that. Which whatever. I mean, if you want to paint God as the aggressor in that story, I, I'm not personally bothered by that. Mm-hmm. I have well, no like God the positive the that we understood to be God set the terms of how the devil could or the the other party whatever yeah can torment job you know and by and by doing that kind of like he had control over the setting throughout that whole thing and it is kind of interesting too how like yeah certain people approach that like his friends approach it in different ways where you have one person saying like well you must have sinned Mm -hmm. right and i mean obviously trying to find reason (laughs) in that yeah. that mess but there's like, still people that think that way absolutely it's we a, all it's this protectionist that. mindset that we're we're talking about i think is that like i have to rationalize what i'm seeing happen to you in mm-hmm. a way that like protects my understanding of the order of things you yeah, know and certainly to me it seems like you must have done something wrong to deserve <laughs> this yeah it's literally like a placation of cognitive distortions that's all it is. it's like mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, I can't, if, if what's happening to you doesn't make sense, then I'm going to just like have to jump off a bridge because I can't, I can't live with that level of uncertainty, which we've seen that story. Yeah. play on. And I, okay. So I think this is what's fun is like, we're having this conversation, right. And we're, you can glean these different points and it's like, it's kind of through that conversation. It's not like that it's circling it, that you get closer to what you were talking about angel and that your love of truth and your interest in, you know, we can never, we can never throw a dart right at the center of capital T truth, but just this idea of like these types of conversations and especially at an academic level, like they really like refine your sense of one ability to have a conversation, but Mm -hmm. all we're trying to do is kind of get closer to that, to that middle point knowing that we can never reach it but does it but striving for it nonetheless and that's disappointing for some people because they want to just sit and know that they've found the truth but we do the same Mm -hmm. thing with morality right and evangelicals have the same exact conversation around sin like well we can never be perfect but we're striving to be as close to it's like they they get the notion of striving towards something that matters yes Uh, definitely and they acknowledge what? that there's things you can do that throw you off that path, which is, yes, you know, what they call sin. But, there, you know, there's obviously disagreements about what is sin and what isn't. Um, I mean, I just kind of look at sin as, uh, you know, when you when you aren't doing the thing that is is best, even though you know that something else is the best, I guess it's it's not something you need to cleanse yourself of but it um i think that it can help you stay on track with your own intuition and your own ethics and stuff like that but i you know the way that evangelicals and and other um sects like uh and denominations look at sin it's like this list of stuff that's horrible to do even if it doesn't have any kind of negative impact on you or other people it's like against the rules so like, you know, don't be gay, whatever, because that's a sin, even though like I'm anyone who's gay, one. you know, they, they meet their person or they come out or whatever. It's it's liberating. It's a spiritual experience, you know. So, yeah. And the sin one thing that real. never makes that list is uh, making in 10 seconds what most people won't make in a lifetime. That never makes the list. 
financially. No, speaking. no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the uh, you know camel through an eye of a needle verse. Um, I don't know what they do about that. I mean, that whole verse is there's a little. I mean, I basically think it's saying like if you're, you know, if you're if you're greedy, if you take advantage of people, if you're hoarding, like, you know, that's some serious karma. Um, but like, how do they deal with that verse? You know, I could tell you they came up. Go ahead, Kate. Yep, go ahead. They Kate. came up with something. Well, I think it's good. kind of like, you know, uh, who were Noah's kids banging when they got off the ark? Something's best not to dwell on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No yeah, one wants really to think about cares. that. I don't. I don't need the story of Noah's ark for like anything in my life. Like it's just. <laughs> Who gives a fuck about that story? So like, true. I'm sure there's lessons in it. I'm sure there's like some teachings in it. And I'm sure like an academic or even a pastor could like share with us what, what it is. But like, I just <laughs> do not care about it. Sometimes everybody else is wrong and you're right. And then you get <laughs> to watch them choke to death on divine punishment. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Just make sure there's uh two of every animal. While they bang on the side of your boat going, please, please, you get to just, you get to just listen and the, that, and the, you know, the screams and the soft beat of the rain on the roof of your boat until it slowly all turns to gurgles. And then it's quiet. It's very nice. Yeah. You hear hear their fingernails click Uh, out of the cracks of the wood on the side of the boat. You know, it's like, (laughs) I, I watched some kind of animated series when I was a little kid and I have this memory of when the flood was like building up and there's just people like ah like help us and but it was like such a positive like we were supposed to feel really good about what's happening like look how god is getting rid of all the bad people and protecting you know his good people or you know i like to say they now or it i don't think god minds um so yeah, it's it's really it's really awful to think about that and like I don't know I don't know much about that story. I need to like study uh, learn more about like what the hell that author was like thinking <laughs> what it's supposed to mean. So, I don't know. It is funny to the the fact that like in some of those especially those Old Testament stories, like there's like the way that they're taught, it's there's almost no effort put into like explaining why the people yeah. who all die a horrible death were bad. Right. They're like, you know what? If we make it a flannel graph, no one will ask questions. It's like if this was a Disney Channel original movie, they're the types that would like elbow you when they walk past in the in the school hallway. <laughs> yeah. And soon Knock the books out of your hands. <laughs> If it was a camp, if it was a teenage camp movie, they're the ones that steal your underwear when you go skinny dipping in the middle of the night. Oh God, that is so that is so evil. That's a sin, right there. That is a sin. If there's one thing we can all agree upon, that that is, they're all O'Doyles. (laughs) Oh God, wait, what movie was that from? (laughs) Was it Billy Madison? Oh, I figured it's much older than that. Isn't there a much older one? Thinking of some teen comedy from like the 80s or something about stealing clothes when you're in the water no like that name oh Oh, doyle doyle rules i think of uh arrested was that arrested development Uh, no no, that's not what i'm thinking of that's steve holt doyle (laughs) 
Okay. I don't know. Oh, okay. Odoyle rules sleep, is Billy Madison. Oh, um, that is Billy think. Madison. It's it's Odoyle dude, that's rules. What the internet says, but there's got. I'm thinking of an older movie. I'll have to look up. Never mind. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you started kind of like coming full circle after doing an exploration of other religions and finding your mm-hmm. way back into Christianity, was that like um, was your was there any like contention with your family uh around? your previous explorations and then was there any well yeah what was like well did, did family play a part in uh any conversations that you had at all not really that- because like i said my parents are just like the most lazy christians possible like they, I, <laughs> my dad's got more spiritual over the years and like a bit more of a kooky way you know like um mm. classic you know, dad yeah well his his cat passed away and it was his best friend. And I think that that really kind of um, propelled him into a more spiritual life, um, Hmm. which was, which is really cool, but it's not like in the Christian way. So hopefully in the next 10 years, he just turns on a like full on new age kind of shit and he grows hair back out and gets some dreads or something. Um, (laughs) But no, um, my parents have always felt uncomfortable with like really sacrilegious like sentiments. But, you know, I don't even think I necessarily told them this and I don't think it matters. But if I told them like I, you know, I've really changed spiritually. Like I I have a problem with all of these doctrines and teachings. This is kind of how I am now. They would probably just be like, sounds good. Yeah. That's what you don't have any idea how many of our listeners are begging for that response from their parents. I know, I know. (laughs) And it's like, God, it's one thing if your parents think you're living in sin, and it's another thing when like you're you're they just like don't want anything to do with you anymore because you're queer now or something. It's yeah, or or you just you you don't you know believe in God anymore or whatever it is. I'm really lucky in that sense. I mean, my parents and I have some serious contentions for sure. Um, But yeah, religion was never one of them. Thankfully, like despite that super half-assed Christianity that I grew up with, um, really everything was done on my own, my own exploration. Because I wasn't exploring when my mom was taking me to church. I was just like, this is fucking boring. (laughs) so it took me getting older and being like hey wait a minute i'm interested in like what all this is and what's happening and what like what does this all mean what are we doing here and then you know kind of went from there are there any moments that stick out to you like infamous or otherwise from like a sermon or a big altar call at at bible camp or this Anything is why like psychic connections are real because I was thinking about that exact thing before <laughs> you even said that. Like that's literally what it came to my mind. I was like, Oh, I want to share about that. And then you asked me about it. So how's that for We're hooked into the same cosmic energy feed? Yeah, exactly. Um, so <clears throat> there was a lot of emotional, spiritual experiences but there was always like a, a doubt in the back of my mind that like God was really part of it. Um, but I think that there were some pretty profound like sermon moments and altar call moments um, because I think that, you know, how emotional people get and they have these transformations and stuff and they like 
you know, walk out of church that night and never do heroin again or something like that. I think that those spiritual experiences can be very legitimate. A lot of people are just kind of forcing it and faking it. Mm -hmm. You know, even people in the Pentecostal church, they're just, um, they're just mimicking other people. But then there are other people who are freaking out and dancing around and screaming who like are actually just feeling like an insane amount of love for like everyone and themselves and, and it's beautiful and transformative. And so you, you just got a lot of both. And even in more like calm churches, like mine was like, there was still stuff like that. And so I think really you just have the people who are having general transformative experiences and then people who aren't and the ones who do have them. Unfortunately, when it happens at a church, they end up associating their experience with the stuff that the church is teaching. So they think that the big salvation or transformation experience they had is intrinsically tied to, you know, the current or the, the uh, interpretation of scripture that their church has. And that makes me really sad because it's almost like you're throwing away your experience or limiting it or, you know, just becoming dogmatic about it. And you defend the legitimacy of your evangelical Christianity based on the fact that you had a genuine experience and you, you knew it was God, you knew in your heart it was God. So if that's true, then I guess being gay is bad. So that's what's something that's really rough. But I definitely had a few big experiences. Some of them, I was just like sitting quiet in the, in the pew and a couple of them were like going up to the altar or whatever. But like there was experiences of like, I felt like I was like flushing out trauma um, experiences where I felt like a lot of love, like I was being taken care of being watched after and I didn't have to be afraid and stuff like that. And I just, you know, despite the, you know, the pastor on the, on the altar, like preaching some like messed up stuff about gay people. Like it doesn't mean that I didn't have like a genuine transformative experience. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I love I that connection. That. I love the connection that you made between people's genuine spiritual experiences uh, being used then to confirm the beliefs of the environments in which they had those spiritual experiences. I think that is an incredibly accurate way to look at it. And it's a really generous way to look at it too, because we're not playing a, a genuine experience that someone's having. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a, you beautiful- know, a lot of people, they see videos of like Pentecostal, you know, uh, church services and they, get really freaked out by it, which is understandable. And you probably should be in a lot of cases, but they sort of like throw all of these people like in a crazy box. And I just don't know if we should do that because, you know, there's it's even though they're all part of the same denomination and the same church, it doesn't mean there isn't like a huge diversity in people. And like when I was going to church, I had friends who were very spiritual and they go to church and they participate but we'd talk about like scripture, a certain doctrine, and they'd kind of just be like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really like that. I just kind of like do this. It works for me. And I, I was just like, Ooh, you can't do that. You can't just like pick parts of Christianity and say you don't like them and throw them out. But now I realize because it's every culture, every era, 
you know, has a different relationship to scripture and interprets it differently and applies it differently. Now I look at, you know, what those people were telling me as like a really great thing. And it's not like the things they were throwing out are like, don't murder, you know, they're just like, <laughs> no, I don't feel like praying in that way. That doesn't feel great to me. And I don't know, that verse doesn't sit right with me. So I'm not gonna, you know, like endorse it or something. I think mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. I don't I know would. how we got there, but that's okay. I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, I, in hearing the way that you've landed where you've landed and the exploration this took to get you here. Um, mm-hmm. but I want to take a shift into some of your music, uh, with the time we have left, because I am curious as to, I mean, we talked a little bit about your interests in high school and, mm-hmm. and new metal and finding your way into some other, even heavier music, as you mentioned, Ludacris, mm-hmm. as all as we now know as Norma Jean, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your like? Let's. I want to just talk a little bit about your um, trajectory into mm-hmm. the music industry, and and yeah. Well, I I was into like the first couple Corn albums and stuff around the in the new metal days, but you know that's not it's not a big part of my identity at all. Like I. I I really love the first two corn records and the first Limp Bizkit records and, and the, the more like weird and harsh and noisy new metal at the time, like Cold Chamber and the bands that were ripping off early corn. But like, that was just kind of like a, a phase. I mean, I've been really nerdy and into music um, since as long as I can remember back even three years old, I have these really like blurry memories of like rocking out to like, Rush and Led Zeppelin in my living room with my parents or something, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, whatever. Um, so obviously I was raised on the music that they like, like every kid is. And then when did I start venturing off into my own interests? I think it might be when my uncle got me like a Dream Theater CD in like the oh, early yeah. 90s. And it kind of launched me into like prog. And then he got me into all these like prog bands. But then I, I discovered death metal at a really young age, a late night MTV. And I was just like, it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe it existed. I couldn't believe there was anything like that before. Um, so I got really into that. And it's hard to be into that when you're like 10 and you don't have <laughs> money and there's no like internet uh, yet. And um, so I had to like, you know, buy like DSI records and Morbid Angel records or CDs from the CD store. Like when I was out with my friends or another family member, I'd like sneak by it and bring it home and like hide it. Um, because it's, it was like really like it, it crossed the line with my lazy, lazily Christian parents because, you know, DSI once upon the cross, it's just like bloody Jesus on the front of the cover. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of death metal went in that direction. Um, yeah. I've been uh, a friend of mine, just a band that I I've known my, a couple of my friends have loved since we were in high school that I never once listened to a song of came up recently. And I've been doing this thing where if I've, if I've, if a band comes up and I literally never can recall listening to a song of theirs or catching any of their music over the years, I've been going through their discographies. Mm. Oh, that's a good um, idea over time but just for fun and not with every band because that would be too many mm-hmm. um, but the ones i go that's crazy that i've gone my entire life knowing my friends love these bands but mm-hmm. never listening to any music so i did it with periphery not too long ago mm-hmm. um 
but now I'm doing it with uh, uh, Hate Eternal. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, Derek Rowdy is such an amazing <laughs> drummer. Yeah, yes, they're, they're, they're one of my favorite. He's a albums. robot. So their first yeah. album came out in '99. So I would have been 11 at that time, and I was just like thinking about because the recording is kind of trashy, not trashy, but you know, you, we just know what '90s recordings sound like versus yeah, especially you know, Death Metal. There wasn't big production budgets, so it it right. has a recording quality that that current death metal bands are actually trying to emulate, like the old school style death metal bands. They want their records to sound like those. It's kind of yeah. cool. But getting into that, I'm like, this is crazy. I one, I can't believe because I always I got a little bit more into deathcore as a late teen. Um, mm-hmm. and I still enjoy it. But like, you know, deathcore gives you the reprieve of a breakdown or a chorus or something like that. Death metal just goes hard for a lot just the entire album. It just goes fucking hard. So you're just yeah. like you're listening to Hate a Turtle. I'm like, this isn't something I would have gravitated towards, but even just now listen to it i'm like this fucking kills and it's fun yeah, it to just do that up. deep dive it doesn't like sometimes the entire song is just like blasts you know and the music's yeah. still intricate and everything it's not like you know super riffy like but, real technical yeah, guitar really riffy really technical yeah but that yeah hate eternals drummer i don't remember his name just a row it's like it's like it it almost sounds like they've been programmed because he's just well, there's some so studio hard. magic. I mean, metal these days, unless you're trying to go for the old school thing, it, it's all doctored in the studio. I mean, I do this stuff every day. I record drums yeah. and guitar stuff, and I'll line it up on the grid because I you know, sucked at playing it. So that's just like a, a thing <laughs> people have been doing since the 90s, since Pro Tools. But uh, seeing bands like these live, you you realize like which ones can really do it. And I don't have any lack of respect or admiration for bands that like can't pull off their studio shit live because they're making art. And if you can't perform your art, who gives a shit because you made it and it sounds beautiful. But then there are the bands that like can do it live, like Lorna Shore. That shit I just, happens live. Dude, I j- I've been arguing with some friends about it because they use triggers live and there's a oh, huge well, debate do, about triggers. He's still playing it. It's just makes That's it what so, I'm saying. He's going so goddamn fast that you can't hit hard going that fast. So you have to use trigger. If you see their drummer live, he's just like just tapping it's, on stuff and very calm and everything, even though his feet are going like, they're like blurry cause they're going so fast, but it's just very, very calm. You can't play that shit without being calm and using triggers. That's just how it is. And, and watching like listening to Lorna, cause I don't, they're a band where I'm like, I don't really pick up on like, you know, one song from the other too much. Like I don't listen to them like that, but I wanted mm-hmm. to see them really bad and hearing Lorna recorded and then seeing Will Ramos just perform mm-hmm. live. God damn it. He's definitely one of the best metal he, vocalists he in history. Is. I just love that guy so much. Yeah. <laughs> I like listen to all his interviews and like, I just like watching him on the internet cause he's such a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's sick. But yeah, so anyway, that was we a little tangential, but you uh you found your way into into death metal and that was yeah, a little but, a bridge too far for your parents. Yeah, but then I also I discovered like electronica in the early and mid nineties through late night MTV as well. They had this show called Amp. They would play Aphex Twin, like Auditor and and Fluke and Underworld and even uh Moby, like back when he was like making really good music that he wasn't 
singing in um, before he like started doing pop stuff. And I was really into that. And uh, I got really into trance. Trance was like a thing for me for a long time. So like my phases, uh, they, they, um, they come and go uh, and overlap. Like I might have been in my death metal and trance phase at the time. And then um, in the late nineties, I might've been 97 or so. I discovered emo because I had some, I was playing music with older kids who were like in their twenties at the time. And I was like, you know, like 14, 13, 15 or something. And um, they would uh, take me to shows. um, And sometimes we'd play them. And there was just like a a cool, like DIY, like emo screamo type scene at the time in town. So I would see bands like that. And I was just like, it, it just had this sound to it that I was so drawn to. And then I, I started like, uh, finding like zines and stuff from like, you know, old punk zines that would do like reviews of, you know, seven inch splits from random ass bands from Kansas or something. And then I would look for those CDs at tower records. Um, and so I ended up finding mineral and American football and early death cab back then. And that was like, I got super obsessed with that. And I started showing it to all my friends and all my friends were getting into these bands and then they start buying like shirts and it was great. Sorry. I know my camera is going slow right now. I'm not sure why it was staggering, but it looks fine. Now. No, it's, it's fine. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's like, I love that. I love the eclectic pull from so many things. Yeah. So now you can start to see why fire tool sounds the way it does because you know, grew up on death metal, trance and electronic music and emo and screamo and prog metal and everything. I mean, that's all, it's all in, in the music uh, amongst other things. Um, but I've also listened to a lot of just like rock, indie rock. Um, you know, like I just, I don't have like genre preferences as much as I do like artist preferences. So yeah, you know, like, mm-hmm. I like rap. I like drum and bass and you know it's just whatever whatever's good and a lot of it shows up in my music yeah yeah it, we were talking about it a little bit before but i mean you certainly hear it and you one of the things that stuck out to me is like the sort of like black metal vocals that'll show up sometime too yeah um do you do the vocals do you have someone that you work with that do the vocals like how's no i do all the vocals i do almost everything okay. there's there's people that get That's credited awesome. for like uh you know I, I feature sax players a lot and then and my friend played yeah. bass on a song and guest vocalist once in a while but it, it's pretty much all me um for some reason i'm really drawn to the the black metal vocal sound um so I end up doing it over a lot of music that is not black metal sounding whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but then I also, you know, sing a little and I'm trying to get more like yelly vocals in my music, like kind of like old school, hardcore type vocals. Um, Cause I just, I like that stuff too. And it would be cool to hear that in my music. I feel like it would almost fit even less than the black metal vocals. So we'll see. But um yeah. Is that kind of the appeal? It fits less, but making it work in a way that, cause it does work. I mean, the black metal vocals, when they came in, it was like a little like, you know, Oh, right. that's so unexpected. Right. But jarring. Maybe if you allow it and you don't get right. gatekeeping about, about it, it, it mm-hmm. fucking works and it's really stands out. And obviously it stands out in a, 
a way that's allowed you to to amass you know a a, a big audience of and people who are connecting with it yeah i guess it takes a certain kind of brain to be able to tolerate my music but i'm you know meet more people every day that like it and it's great um i don't think my my goal is never to mash up genres what i do is i just make music and i make what i want to hear so when i'm you know when i'm making something that sounds like 80s like smooth jazz drum machine 4-4 no key changes type of jazz which is fake jazz barely jazz and then you know i'm working on it and i'm just like all right it's time for vocals and it's just like that's just what i i go to i'm probably gonna do the shrieking and it's not because i'm thinking god it would be so funny or fun or interesting or anything like that to put those kind of vocals over that music i don't really think about that i more just think like what would sound good here and I think what sounds good to me is like really ridiculous to a lot of people, but it's very natural to me. I'm not trying to prove anything or blow anyone's minds or confuse people. It's fun to watch people confuse though. Don't get me wrong. It's just not my, my goal. I'm right. just making what I like and it ends up sounding like that. And I think it's clear because everyone, I feel like everyone knows, and it. I don't mean this in a negative sense uh, to any artists that are using these tricks or tools. It's like, but they're gimmicks, right? There's there's musical gimmicks that work, and mm-hmm. uh, and they pull people in, and you can do them well or you can do them poorly. I'm in. A, I've been in an argument the past twenty four hours with some friends about every time I die, and how I don't like that band very much. It's just hasn't. Mm. It does. I I have no disrespect towards them, and I think that, they're great, and I know. Okay. I I know so many people who love them, so I feel like I'm the one missing out on something that I would like to be able to enjoy with everybody else. But when I throw mm-hmm. it on, I go, I, I it's not doing it for me. Um, but they they intentionally go in some very distinct directions that are very clear choices to make people go, oh, well, wasn't expecting that. Like, and so I don't think gimmick is a bad thing. I think it gets a bad connotation, but I don't sure. mean it in that sense. And there, maybe there's a better vocabulary word I could be using to describe these concepts. But I don't feel like 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 gimmick sometimes has like a bait and switch feel. We're like, yo, you're taking me here. And then you threw this on it, like a fake down or something like that. Um, but like I, I think to your point in the way you're describing your music, I it resonates because I don't I didn't. It just feels like something authentic. It doesn't feel like you're being like surprised. Even though it's unexpected, it's not like a gotcha moment. It's just like you're, and yeah. you can see that throughout throughout your music too, where it's just like this. There are elements of it that that stay, and you go, yeah, this is this is the artist I'm working with, who's 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 putting their art out to the world in. I don't know. I, I think that's what's neat. I like the way you described it, that you're not trying to, you're not trying to just like surprise anyone, uh, even though sometimes they, they'll be surprised and you're not trying to just like mash up genres. Cause it doesn't, doesn't feel like you just like, let's just do like use an 808 to do a hokey EDM song and scream black metal vocals over it. It's not like that at all. It's very no. intricate and well thought out. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think that's, I'm surprised that as many people um, as I've seen or heard people talk about or read um, that they 
they can tell it's genuine and they don't think of it as like contrived or like I'm trying to be annoying or trying <laughs> to be ironic um, or anything like that. Like I expected so many reviews, like, I don't know what's going on. It's just like random shit, random noises and just sounds really dumb and corny sometimes. And then it does, you know, I just, I thought that's what people were going to say, but then even people that like, don't really like it are still like, I really like appreciate this. And that Mm -hmm. is expected, but it's really great. I kind of one of the best compliments, right? Yeah. (laughs) With people who like don't vibe with it. Doesn't like it. And they're, they're, but they, they're like humble enough to be able to look at it from different angles and appreciate some stuff about it. So I think that is like a, a way bigger compliment than like, Oh my God, I love your music. So <laughs> not trying awesome. to like, like mock any of my fans. Or You're anything, right. But. Right. Please keep telling but, me. I mean, I just did. Music. I literally just did mock them. So it's, <laughs> yeah, sorry guys. But I think it's, some, I, I don't know. There's whether you're, it's almost like any art form at this point, because I, I, I mean, literally any art form is accessible now. Yeah. With you know the tools that we have available to us, that mm-hmm. there's just so many people putting things out and stuff, and and mm-hmm. it gets to a point where like, even if you have a good bead on what people want to hear, and you can, you know, you can put that together. I don't know. I, I mean, whether you're a, a a musician or a comedian or an a, a, you know author or whatever, like eventually, if it doesn't ring true for you and it's not like an actual expression of like what you have in there, then mm-hmm. it's it's gonna fall short. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's the case a lot of times. I do think that people can get really skilled at manufacturing like music that people are going to respond to. Um, And so I admire that talent. And hopefully the people that are doing that don't necessarily want to express themselves in a more like on authentic way. Maybe their, their authentic uh, act is making music that gets people dancing. Um, Even if the song isn't, you know, that great, like, I don't know that you probably know of YouTuber Cody Co, right? Maybe you don't. I don't know. I live no, on YouTube. But he's so, like yeah. he's he's pretty huge. He does like comment commentary. He's a comedian and stuff. So he like forces himself to like learn these like new skills sometimes. Um and so he taught himself to DJ and produce music and his songs are just so stupid. But they're <laughs> fun and they're funny and they slap and they have energy. And I mean, DJs often make music just to get people going. They'll throw in their originalness or whatever sometimes. I mean, plenty. I, I'm not talking about all DJs. It's just this certain type of DJ, I guess, who exists to get the people going. And I have, that's like a skill in itself. I wouldn't be able to do that because every time I get people going in a song, I fuck it up. Like when I play shows, like the certain part will come and people like look at each other like, holy shit. And they'll start throwing down. And like two and a half seconds later, I'm doing some like meditation piece or something. And so I really see people kind (laughs) of just get jerked around by the music. Um, It's it's pretty funny. But that's um, so funny. 
<laughs> it's almost like you you just have to appreciate the fact that like people like making music can have several different aims. Yeah. And looking at it in one flat way, like mm-hmm. I I definitely feel like uh I had that stage in as a annoying little scene boy where I was like, Oh yeah. Like there's no riffs in here. Like guitar parts <laughs> are so bland and basic. And like, I feel like I've heard that breakdown before. Like, like there was going to be some like super unique expression of like a Azule dying riff or something, you know, <laughs> song. It's like, yeah. you know, sometimes songs that get formulaic and it's more about like how it makes you feel and how, you know, it's the soundtrack to a certain part of your day or what yeah. you're doing or you know it gets you hyped up before you go do something like sometimes mm-hmm. that's more valuable than like legitimate like deep artistic expression sure but yeah, it's not it what you want use. all the time some you know? people make music specifically to be in the background um you know ever since like you know brian Eno's like ambient albums i believe that's kind of where it started to become something where like more people would like listen like attentively to like ambient music but i mean the word ambient i'm pretty sure it just comes from the idea of like uh i don't know how to define it but now that it's now it's a genre not just a word in the dictionary and so um yeah a lot of things that are passive listening are supposed to be passive listening i i listen to like in a serious way like i listen to a lot of 80s um like stock music that like TV shows would use movies, films or whatever, just like generic, like they're just called like jazz song one, jazz song two. There's like 60 of them on this like six LP set that, you know, like, um, you know, broadcasting companies and stuff would use and um, film companies and stuff. So um, find a lot of, go ahead. (laughs) This is just like, just like commercial jingles. Well, not not so much like commercial jingles, but just like just think of like some 80s teen like beach movie, like some summer break type movie. And, you know, the romantic scenes would have like a silky smooth, smooth jazz kind of thing with some guitar solos and like a sax part. And then, you know, when everybody's having fun at the beach, it'll be something more upbeat, but it's still just very generic and 2D sounding and like plastic and like goofy. Like but stuff I you find on random channels in a Grand Theft Auto soundtrack while driving. Um, sure. I never played that, but I, yeah, sure. That, um, that was the thought that I was like, oh, right, just random. It works. It's, it's smooth. It's yeah. It's like Family Matters mid episode. Yeah. Carl's coming oh, yeah. home from work, and it's yes, a saxophone yes. piece. It's like, and then it fades out. But no, I want to hear the song. I listen to the whole songs, you know. Yeah, I really, I really love that sound. It's very nostalgic for me, just like full house core, um, you know, Urkel core, like whatever it is. Like, core. That's, that's the just, genre that doesn't need to happen because we know if, if Urkel core was a thing, it would just be a bunch of people in matching suspender outfits doing like crab core shit. Yeah, no, no Urkel core. I'm more of a Stefan oh, core. All right, I shouldn't have said that because now like your listeners are going to hear it and be like, wait a minute. Yeah, someone got an idea. Planted <laughs> oh, no. that evil seed. It's yeah, like they cut to it, like right before their breakdown, they cut to, did I do that? Yes, that's the, go, best, dun, like, dun, 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 dun. that's like the best replacement for the ride symbol bell. That's yeah. such a good idea. 
<laughs> oh, I feel like I should no, because that's that's just too silly. But I know I kind of want to do that in the song. If you do I'm, it, I'll support oh, it. I'm not gonna. Yeah, <laughs> we're joking uh, on it, but I won't. Think, I won't I'll denigrate it. it. I'll think about it. <laughs> oh, uh, alarm's going off on my phone. One sec. Okay. Yeah, I well, was gonna say that I really love uh, that sound. It's very nostalgic for me. Um, I grew up listening to, you know, I would always listen to the background music and be like, "Mom, Dad, like, where, can we buy a CD of this?" And they're like, "That's not how this works. That's just <laughs> music that's in a file drawer that the the company like plays. Like, I don't know." And I like the the music that was on the Weather Channel in the early '90s. I was always like, "Where can I get this? Like, can I can I have this? Like, they only play like one minute of it, and then the broadcast is over. I'm going crazy." And now, we can listen to all of those songs because they're all online, and you can identify them all with like Shazam or whatever. And so that that's that's one big genre subject that we didn't touch on. We don't have to touch on it, but I'm just like smooth jazz is like huge for me and that also shows up in the music quite a bit i used to listen to that in high school i would listen to it there was a smooth jazz station b98.7 i probably Uh, know like almost every song that you were listening to then at this point because i've become such a nerd for it (laughs) it is like weather channel music no it is it's it's yeah absolutely like that's that's what I thought the genre was when I was a kid. I didn't realize that there was any jazz or new age music. I didn't know what to call it. It just had the weather channel sound to it. So when I discovered these artists much later in life, like there's this resonance, like some, this alarm goes off and it's like, I, I like time travel to like being a little kid home on a snow day from school. And um, that's why I have such a connection to it because it's like, it was always there when I was a kid. It's like playing a guitar under a weighted blanket. Yeah, absolutely. That's That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Or like playing a keyboard. Probably more keyboards in those songs than guitars at the time because it was like late 80s, early 90s stuff, which I love. Love when bands have like three keyboard players and no guitarists. That's the best. (laughs) You know they're going to be such a sick band if that's the lineup. How do you you feel about keytars? Oh, I love them. Have you heard Blind Equation? No. Well, they're a band that just got signed to Prosthetic Records. And they're, uh, they kind of dabble in like Cybergrind, like maybe a little deathcore, but maybe it's more like metalcore. But they have a drummer, a vocalist, and a guitar player. And it, huh. you know, and they do breakdowns and shit, but no guitar. It's just like. Beep boop beep boop. <laughs> I hope they don't hear this because yeah, like, they're like, that, that was shitty. They're like, no, uh, that's exactly what we thought. About us, I thought you liked us, but yeah, guitars are Blind equation is that what you said? I, I hear blind your, equation. Uh, I hear blind equation, and I raise you showbread. Okay. Oh, I've uh, I've been, <laughs> yeah, all all the way back to their first album. I saw them when they were touring on their first album. I played shows with them several times in old bands we've shared the stage oh no way dang i even played an acoustic show with uh josh from that band he was touring like promoting a book that he wrote recently is it though no not recently oh. this was because he went he's a pretty like fundy conservative dude now he just wrote a book no about way what i think it's josh i think it's josh and he wrote a book about like the dangers of like not really the dangers but uh the 
uh, basically just oh, an anti-progressive evangelical oh, no. book. It's like Death to wow. Deconstruction is the name of the book or something oh, like that. Oh, God. That's yeah, so that's, he sounds real cool. Okay, I'm thinking of Josh <laughs> Dyes. I don't know if that's his real last name, but that's what he went by. And it yeah. looks like he's a pastor right now, but I could have sworn. Yep, Josh Dyes, Death to Deconstruction, Death Reclaiming to Faithfulness as an Act of Rebellion, which is the worst title. Oh no. I, I thought that he was like kind of getting out of that stuff and writing a book like about it. I never read it, but I thought that's kind of what the book was about, but I guess not. Well, he doubled his down. It's like a magazine. <laughs> the magazine was I, I loved them. I loved the first I, album and I loved that one too. And it was a, I don't, I don't, I, did too. I don't know if it holds up anymore. I'll have to try. They don't hold up for me. The first time I, the first and last time I saw them was at Purple Door in Pennsylvania, and that's when they were still wearing all the matching clothes. Yeah, the red um, pants. Yeah. Yep. I've been and, to a couple Purple Doors. Oh, nice. Yeah. It yep. was. Those are a good time. I, purple Door is a life changing experience for me as a Absolutely. teenager. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there really any uh, Christian albums from back in the day that you still like throw on occasionally? Yeah, I mean, I listen to Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child all the time still. I probably got, I know every, every note, every word, everything from that album. Like I have it memorized. I could just play drums through it right now. So that one's big for me. I haven't listened to a lot of old Sayo recently, but really like that stuff. Um, I really like X Toll and I still listen to them. Yeah. X Toll oh, fucking yeah. rules. There's yeah. my buddy went Peter, to Furnace uh... Fest last year. Yeah, Peter Espival. We had him on the podcast. Also He's listen gonna... to some pretty worshipy stuff like Delirious at the time because they came Delirious. out with that Mesomorphosis album that sounded kind of like oh sometimes they like sounded like Radiohead. Um, yeah, I actually really think that's a, a really cool kind of unique album. Um, but I think it's one of those things where it's like option paralysis because there are so many albums from then that I really like. And now, and now I can't think of any <laughs> option paralysis. But like yeah. That. My, my youth era and in, in church was very music centered. Like my pastor loved music. He had like long hair. He liked heavy music and everything. So like cool Christian bands were like always around. And there were churches in the area that would host bands when they'd come, you know, I've you know, figure four or he is legend or because they were like quasi Christian at first too. Um, they would always do big shows and they would get secular bands that were wholesome um, to play as well. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of music in, in the Christian world for me, which is something I'm really thankful about because oh yeah, regardless of some of the crappy lyrics, I mean, there's great music there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Man, it's been great talk to you, Angel. Thanks for yeah, it was uh, a lot coming of fun. on. It's a yeah. lot of fun. So, where's the? You mentioned your website earlier. What? Where's your? What's your website again? Um, it is angelmarkloyd.com. Um, but it's just like basically like a bio and like links to all the stuff I do. Um, my mixing and mastering business is called Angel Hair Audio. So there's a .com for that. Um. Firetools.com actually exists too. I know it's weird. I'm naming all these dot coms like nobody goes to websites anymore, but everyone goes to I Instagram. like leading people. <laughs> I like leading people to websites because then they can choose whatever mode of contacting me or following me they want. So websites are the original link tree. 
they really are and i i love them and i miss them and um yeah i used to make websites when i was in middle school in the in the 90s i was a html5 expert which is very 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 ancient at this point you must have had a really sick myspace then oh my god yeah i had the crazy css overlays and yeah, God, when they started letting you put a song on your profile, oh, that was the best. What better way well, to force exciting. your identity out there? I mean, <laughs> yeah, and to show people how cool you are. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're like you're all like old poppy friends, you know, who just who you might have lost connection with, but you still had that connection on MySpace. Goes to your page and they get blasted with metal, and they go, "I didn't realize." <laughs> He was this kind of a person. You're like, yeah, I'm pretty cool. That's why you're not in my top eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I converted a lot of people to metal fans, emo fans, electronic music fans when I was that young. A pioneer. Mm-hmm. It was necessary. People <laughs> yeah. like you were pathfinders for people like me. So. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. And yeah. We'll see you next time. Thank you.